Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It is Friday, February 8th, and this week's Discover Weekly has hits from Spotify and Twitter. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I've got Fool.com tech specialist Evan New on Skype. Evan, what's going on? It's been a hectic week. The kids had a snow day yesterday. Their teachers are going on strike next week, so I might take a hit of my productivity next week, but we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully that won't impact our podcast <laughs> schedule too much. Um, I make that Discover Weekly joke in the intro there because we're talking about Spotify today. Before we get into the company discussion, what have you been listening to? Anything uh, recently? I've been listening to My Morning Jacket. Um and they're actually coming to Denver later this year, so I'm going to go see them. And then also the lead singer's solo uh, albums I've been listening to, so that's kind of what I've been jamming to lately. Any particular songs you'd recommend for our listeners? I honestly don't remember what the songs are even called, because I just put it on in the background, and I just... I actually just use Discover Weekly quite a bit and just have it in the background, and or I'll just like put it on a you know, shuffle or something, so I actually don't even know what most of the songs are. I'm a huge fan of Off the Record by My Morning Jacket, uh, for the record. Uh, Dan Boyd, Man Behind the Glass, what have you been listening to lately? Any recommendations for our listeners? Uh, yeah, Dylan, I like to listen to a lot of ska and reggae, so I lately have been listening to a lot of the slackers. Oh, that's right. Yeah, while we were doing the QA for the YouTube Live that we did earlier this week, you had some slackers on, right? Yeah, it's probably my favorite band. Oh, that's awesome. So we got the Slackers, we have My Morning Jacket. Uh, I will throw out that I've been listening to The Smiths quite a bit lately. Um, I was watching this Netflix show, Sex Education. I was going to say, are you feeling okay? Because <laughs> The Smiths, sometimes they get pretty dark. I'm really into broody music, all right? Like, that, that's just kind of where my heart is. Um, but there's this Netflix show, Sex Education, which is excellent. Very uh, not safe for family consumption, but a very good show. Uh, and they featured Asleep by The Smiths, which is an excellent song. So if that's if that's kind of where you're leaning into things with the weekend, highly recommend that. Um, with that, we kind of have our listener weekend playlist onto maybe some actual financial and business results because that's why people are listening <laughs> to this show. Evan, um, you follow this company very closely. You're a shareholder. Uh, what stuck out to you in Spotify's results? I think that it was a pretty solid quarter. Um, we're quick note that you know. We're going to mention all these numbers in dollar terms, even though they report in euros. But revenue is up 30% to about $1.7 billion. The user base is still very strong and growing. They added 16 million monthly active users during the quarter. They're now up to about 207 million. Added 9 million premium subscribers, now at about 96 million total. And they added 7 million ad-supported free uh, listeners, which is now at about 116 million total. And remember that those numbers don't add up because there are some premium subscribers that are actually inactive and do not qualify as monthly active users. It's the number one paid music streaming service in the world. Um, so they're, they're just, they're, they're chugging along. One metric that a lot of people track with this company is the average revenue per user. And we've seen this decline a little bit recently. Uh, there are some good reasons for that though. So, so it declined again this quarter. But that kind of plays into the broader strategy with what we're seeing from this company. Right. So it came in at about $5.56. And that's long been attributed to, you know, Spotify has been really expanding these family and student plans, which uh, help, you know, grow their user base and get more people stuck on the service. And that really helps retention because, you know, if you have a whole family of six people, you know, 
on on one plan, you're really unlikely to move to another service. But that also reduces your average revenue per user because they're pretty cheap when you're you know you spread it out across you know maybe four or six people. Uh, so churn declined by about 30 basis points. So you know really underscores why it's worth it. Uh, but on top of that, they they are seeing some of their market mix shifting towards uh, these emerging markets, which have been uh, you know a good source of user growth. Uh, where they are not getting as much per, per user anyways, because if you remember, Spotify prices their service differently based on which market they're talking about. We might have buried the lead a little bit in talking about the financials, because I was pretty surprised to see that they posted their first ever operating profit uh, this quarter. Uh, what, what made that happen? I think that was the big milestone uh, this quarter because it's their first ever operating profit. Uh, operating expenses have been coming down uh, for a number of reasons, including you know like we saw this play out in the third quarter, but the you know hiring was slower than expected, so that continued in the fourth quarter, just like they said it would. Uh, so the operating profit was 107 million dollars. And there's also the uh, a weird thing about their declining share prices actually helped because that reduces what they call accrued social costs, uh, which are things like payroll taxes, mostly uh, related to stock-based compensation. And most of that's recognized in Sweden, which they're where they're based. Uh, but Spotify said that even if it weren't for that, they would still have been profitable. Uh, but either way, I mean, it's a huge milestone. And I, and I think it's more significant than when they posted a positive net income in the third quarter because that quarter, it was mostly... Um, related to revaluing their stake in Tencent Music, and they still operate at a loss in the third quarter. So this time around, I think it's much more meaningful because they they you know were able to operate at a profit. And is this the kind of thing that investors should expect going forward, or is this something that will kind of fluctuate quarter to quarter for a little while? I think it's going to fluctuate, but and I do think their their full year guidance does predict that they're you know going to swing back to an operating loss for the full year. Um, you know, I mean, they're still investing very heavily in this business, um, as you know, we're about to talk about too. But they're going to you know really push into podcasting, so they they have a lot of things going on that are going to cost quite a bit of money. So you know, I don't think that they're going to you know be po- posting consistent you know, quarterly profits you know anytime soon. But it's still important that they can. You mentioned the podcasting. I think some of our listeners are probably aware that Spotify is uh, dipping their toe a little bit into the podcasting world. They decided to really jump in recently with some acquisitions. And these are some of the big, really first big acquisitions that this company's made. Right, so they're acquiring Gimlet and Anchor, which are two different podcasting companies. I mean, Gimlet's a membership-based podcasting platform. The rumored price tag was about $230 million. They didn't officially disclose it. Anchor provides a bunch of tools that kind of allow podcasters to make, distribute, and monetize their content. So... You know, all told, you know, we have different parts of this, you know, po- you know, podcasting piece that Spotify is really investing in, between infrastructure and content, and they also said that there's more to come. I mean, they're allocating 400 to 5 million dollars uh, total for 2019 for acquisitions, including the Gimlet and Anchor, uh, and that's really going to be focused heavily on podcasts. When you look out at the podcasting landscape, and you know, you and I spend a lot of time thinking about this beyond just investing. You know, we both consume a lot of stuff um, in the podcasting world. Um, Gimlet is one of the big names. You know, if you're thinking about who you can acquire in this space, that uh, would be a big splash. It would be Gimlet. I mean, you can't buy NPR, even though they're you know like the kind of established player. Um, maybe you throw Stitcher in there, but it seems like they want to be independent. So this is going out there and getting a pretty big fish. Right, and I mean the way that CEO Daniel kind of framed it is that Spotify really wants to be about all audio content, not just music. Like he sees the future of Spotify is really expanding to 
other types of audio content and podcasts is kind of clearly the uh, another category that's huge in terms of audio content and it really plays into spotify's narrative of becoming this two-sided marketplace and platform uh, connecting listeners and content creators and on top of that a nice you know plus side is that it can boost their margins because the cost structure for podcasts is much more favorable compared to music because music has these massive licensing and royalty costs, uh, you know, whereas, you know, on podcasting, it's more of like a revenue sharing with maybe ads or, you know, not sure exactly how they're going to do it. But either way, the cost structure is definitely going to be much more uh, favorable. To me, this signals that there's the possibility that we could see Spotify also veer a little bit more into what we see with Netflix uh, over the last couple of years, right, where you have the kind of flagship shows that bring people to your platform and you become a little bit less reliant on the stuff that people can get elsewhere. You know, if, if you can only get some of these podcasts through their platform, that's going to make things, uh, it's going to make a lot of consumers decide to go there instead of maybe an Apple Music. Right, exactly. And that's kind of part of the angle here, too. And, you know, CFO Barry McCarthy even made a loose comparison to Netflix himself. And if you remember, he's actually a former CFO of Netflix. <laughs> um, and, you know, they are trying to get a little bit more content exclusive and in-house in order to differentiate themselves. It's not going to be nearly to the extent that you see on Netflix, which is, you know, nowadays a lot of their originals are really driving their engagement. But so, you know, McCarthy says that the majority of podcasts are not going to be exclusive, but they do want to have a, a little bit of that. Um, and, you know, remember that Spotify has one of the largest and fastest growing audio ad businesses in the world, which you know, did about 600 million in revenue last year. So, the, you know, they have clear ways to monetize podcasts. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I think that, you know, it, and it can also boost retention too. Uh, Daniel, like also said that podcast users tend to be two times more engaged than music listeners. So a lot of benefits. Yeah, I don't think we'll see Spotify going and spending $8 billion on original content anytime soon like Netflix has, <laughs> but I think this is a step in the right direction for them. It's a point of differentiation, and I think it makes their platform a lot stickier. Um, besides all of the news that we saw with Spotify this week, Twitter reported earnings. And, and this is a company that we particularly love to cover. They've been such an interesting story over the last couple of years. Um, I think if you look back over the last 12, 18 months, we've seen a renaissance with this company. Um, that renaissance took a little bit of a halt when they reported earnings recently. Right. I mean, the big thing is that they are profitable now on a gap basis. And, you know, that's obviously a pretty big, important milestone if you're trying to be build a sustainable company is to actually be profitable. <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately, the Wall Street just wasn't really happy with the guidance they were providing for these upcoming quarters. And that's why I think stock sold off about maybe 10, 13% after earnings. Um, you look at the numbers, though. I mean, Q4 revenue was around 900 million, which is up 24% year over year. They're guiding for growth somewhere, I think, in like the 7 to 15% range for next quarter. I think that's why you see a little bit of the sell off after they reported earnings. Um, for the full year, the company brought in a little over 3 billion in sales. Uh, you mentioned that, that gap profitability. And I think this is where we need to dust off your CFA a little bit here, Evan, and do a deep dive into the numbers because some people will look and say, okay, they posted $1.2 in net income. That's pretty darn good on $3 billion in sales. The reality is that's not what people should necessarily expect going forward. Right. There's a big little caveat there, uh, which is that they recognized $845 million out of that $1.2 billion. So, a very big chunk of that, you know, total number there was related to uh, deferred tax asset valuations. So to kind of uh, try to explain this as briefly and straightforward as I can. Uh, so companies create deferred tax assets in general when they operate at a loss, which Twitter has historically done. Now, if the company thinks that there is a 50% 
greater than 50% probability that they will not be able to use those tax assets towards future profits, they have to create a valuation allowance that reduces the value of the tax asset. And the, the valuation allowance releases the benefits that Twitter is recognizing basically showed that what the company is doing is that they're more confident now that it can generate enough future profits in the future to apply those deferred tax, asset, tax assets against. In other words, Twitter now thinks there's less than a 50% chance that those assets will be, will be wasted. And if you want to look at exactly what Twitter's business does, absent all of that, you mentioned that 845, uh, the stuff that was from the operating business itself, net income was around $360 million, which would give you a net margin of around 12%. Right, so they're still you know solidly profitable even if you back all that out. And you know on operating basis, I think their operating margin was something like fifteen percent too. So yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that they are still showing that they can be profitable even if you ignore this tax asset stuff. When we've talked about this company in the past, Evan, we have f- frankly expressed some frustration over how they've reported their user numbers. Uh, for this report and for next report, we will get what we want. We'll get a look at daily actives and we'll get a look at monthly actives. Uh, that is going to change, though, because of uh, some of the shifts that they're making and how they report their numbers. All right, so they introduced this new number for the first time, uh, kind of giving investors what we've been asking for for this whole time, which is an actual number in absolute terms around daily active users. Whereas, you know, they have long kind of resisted and always pointed towards just the percentage change. So the new metric is uh, monetizable daily active users. So MDAU is how they. You know, short, short, <laughs> uh, and it gets a little confusing. You know, because you know, right now what they're focusing on is daily users that they can monetize, and I think that it's a complete reversal from how Twitter looks at its user metrics in more ways than one. Because you know, if you remember back in 2017, the SEC specifically tried to get Twitter to start disclosing uh, daily active numbers, and Twitter refused, basically saying, "Oh, the percentage change is more important because that really shows you the trends in engagement." And now they're basically admitting. Oh, okay. Absolute daily numbers are in fact important, which everyone knew all along. <laughs> uh, but also, there's, there's another contrast too, because even further back, a few years you know, before, under CEO Dick Costello, they had this total audience strategy where they would basically highlight their total audience and say, "Oh, it's two to three times larger than our monthly active user base." When you include all these users that are not logged in, so that would put the you know their total audience somewhere in this 500 to 800 million range around that time and they were you know what they were trying to do is say hey you know want, we want investors to appreciate that twitter has uh, this reach that's you know beyond our platform and the problem with that approach is always that twitter can't monetize a lot of that reach you know for example if a third party website embeds a tweet in a news article twitter's not showing an ad there it doesn't really create a lot of value for it i mean other than kind of expanding the brand or the, pre- the presence or whatever but they're not really benefiting from it financially so this new mdau approach is very specifically focusing on users that are logged in and can be monetized by showing them ads now if the sec couldn't convince twitter to make this switch why are they doing it now i think that a lot of it is that the the dau number or the mdau number is going up and the mau number the monthly user number is going down so i think that you know clearly they would want to highlight the one that's going the right direction so for you it's just this is the more marketable figure that they can put out to wall street right exactly because you know the monthly user base is starting to shrink and that's not something you want to really highlight to investors and, and while we have this overlap here, where we can see what MDAUs and MAUs look like, we'll have MAUs this quarter, and then we'll have it Q1 of 2019, we can see what percentage of monthly actives actually engage daily. 
uh, and I think they threw out as 39% recently, um, and it's going up a little bit. Uh, that's because the daily active number, the numerator is going up, but it's also because the denominator is going down. Right. And if you compare that to Facebook, which has always provided both numbers, uh, roughly two-thirds of Facebook's you know, monthly users globally are active every day. Right. And so I think this speaks to one of the big things with Twitter. The people that really love it, love it, uh, but the audience growth seems somewhat capped because those MAUs are declining. You're working with a really dedicated user base, but one that is not really expanding beyond the people that it already attracts. Right, and there's also some you know geographical considerations too, because you know the U.S. is very you know their ability to monetize in the U.S. is much stronger than international. So you know where where you know they can expand you know some opportunities is that you know if they can really improve monetization on international users, uh, that can help. While they're of course still trying to improve monetization on U.S. users, but it's already you know much stronger in the U.S. So we'll see how that kind of plays out too. I mentioned that Wall Street didn't really like these results because of the guidance. Uh, I did see some good stuff in here, though. One of the big things that I've been tracking with this business is what's going on with their ad prices and their impressions. Uh, and you know, those are the two things that are really going to drive revenue growth for an ad-based business. For the longest time, we've been seeing that all of the revenue growth has been fueled by the fact that they've shown more impressions on their platform. Uh, and that's because ad prices have just been precipitously falling. It's been double-digit percentage year-over-year declines going back to Q3 of 2015, uh, in this most recent quarter, we saw a 7% decline. And so it's possible that we're starting to get to the bottom of ad pricing and that some of the new ad concepts that they're rolling out are looking good. Um, so I'm really encouraged by that. But to go back to some of our frustrations with how management handles reporting, they stopped including that in their presentation this quarter. They've included it every single quarter going back, as far as I remember, and yet now, when it's starting to trend well, I can't find it. You know, I have to look. I have to look in the press release and start digging around into some of the other stuff. It's not a number that they're really trumpeting and highlighting, which is kind of curious to me. Yeah, they're making all these changes in how they present their their data, and I mean, I think that you know, videos ads are certainly helping um, mitigate some of those declines because you know, video ad prices are you know, pretty attractive in general. One other encouraging thing for me from this call. Uh, was that Jack Dorsey was asked about some of the product changes that he was particularly excited about. And one of his answers really landed for me. Um, he had said that Twitter is an interest network in his mind, and that people come to the platform in order to follow very specific interests. And they realize that they need to make it easier for people to opt into, express, and follow those interests, particularly as new users are coming onto the app or re-engaging with the app. And I look at that and I say, okay, well, that sounds like a little bit more of a user opt-in on either like some sort of tagging system or a kind of like-based system, which sounds a lot like the targeting that Facebook has on a lot of its users. Right. And, and that's kind of the funny thing about Twitter is that like there's so many different forms and sections of Twitter. Like, you know, there's like Tesla Twitter, there's you know, finance Twitter, Apple Twitter, tech Twitter, news Twitter. You know, there's all these different types of Twitter, um, and they're all jumbled together in the same timeline. So I think that you know, if they can really kind of think of ways to, you know, maybe you know, separate them a little bit better and say, hey, if you're interested in this, you can actually go here. Um, that would be kind of interesting to me. And that seems like a huge win all around, right? I mean, if you're able to make the platform a lot more intuitive for users, make it a lot easier for them to find the stuff they're looking for and on the advertising side, be able to say, hey, 
your targeting is going to be way better. I have to imagine that that leads to better user metrics and also far better advertiser ROI because they're getting the audience that they want to be accessing. Right, exactly. And, and especially if like you're kind of making, uh, removing friction and making it easier for the users because you can't just rely on everyone always putting in, you know, hashtags for certain topics or dollar signs for certain stocks. You know, sometimes people want to just talk more organically. And if they can really improve in how they organize all this content into these interests, um, yeah, I think you're like, you know, to your point, I think they can really improve ad targeting because you obviously know what these people are interested in. Where I do get stuck with this business, though, is there's upside and they continue to see that they're able to add more ads to the platform and they might be able to engage the existing audience and continue to grow DAUs. But it feels like at a certain point, you're going to run out of ways to juice the audience that you have. Right. On top of that, their costs are going up too. So, you know, there is a lot of pressure on, on the cost side of the business so that, you know, you have to be growing at, you know, revenue enough to, to cover these costs. I mean, they're predicting that operating expenses for 2019 are going to be up about 20% as they continue to invest very heavily in safety and platform health is kind of their number one uh, priority right now uh, because Twitter can be a toxic place for a lot of people and, you know, they need to really tackle that and they've been so bad at tackling it for so many years and they're starting to make some progress but they still have a lot of work to do but that's going to cost quite a bit of money that could also pinch margins but i mean it's ultimately worth it but you know it is it is something that investors should expect all told looking at this business my view on things evan is i think they're making a lot of the right investments uh i think that they're doing right by a lot of their users. Um, unfortunately, I don't look at this any differently than I have over the last couple of years, where I've just wondered, you know, how big can this business get with the audience it has and the way that the ad rates have been moving, even with things stabilizing a little bit. I just wonder what the upside really is. Yeah, I've, I've never touched Twitter stock long or short. I've just always been on the sidelines, and it's been a kind of interesting thing to see play out over the past few years, as so many things have changed from, you know, management and leadership to product changes to reporting changes. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm not really excited about it. Otherwise, obviously, I would probably buy the stock. But um, I mean, they are making a lot of good progress in terms of platform health, financials, profits. Uh, but I'm still not really interested. <laughs> All right, Evan, thanks for hopping on the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, hopefully things don't get too crazy at the house. I uh, hope you get to enjoy your weekend a little bit. I'll do my best. <laughs> Dan, thanks for your work behind the glass today, too. Hey, you got it, bud. It's what they pay me for. <laughs> That's what they pay you for. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you just want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com, or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes, you can catch us on Spotify, or you can check out videos from this podcast over on YouTube. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!